Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. We are starting a series today, and over the next uh, few weeks, you'll hear um, four topics that we're talking about. They're on the screen behind me. We're talking a series we've titled Walk Before You Run. If you've ever encountered children, you'll know that there are stages required in order to develop. Uh, You must first learn to crawl. You must first then learn to stand, and then you learn to walk before you learn to run. If you're running before you're walking, inevitably, you are going to have a fall. (laughs) I have a, a niece, um, and uh, she, when she was developing, she never learned to crawl, and it stunted her development because there are things necessary to grow. And sometimes I think we have a stunted development in our Christian walk because we haven't developed the foundations of it. So this is the series that we're talking about, the Christian foundations, and we're going to talk about four topics. Fellowship, Pastor Dave, our lead pastor, will be here um, this month to talk about that. Scripture, uh, which I don't recall who's talking about that. Is that Pastor Russ? Um, And then prayer, Pastor Jasmine's going to be talking about. And today I'm talking about the Christian foundation of fasting. Now, how many of you, if you were to be asked to write the the Christian foundational practices, would have wrote fasting? (coughs) As a auxiliary addition, fasting. Now, lo and behold, Pastor Jasmine told you that we're starting a fasting course tonight, a four-week course with a little bit of a video, a a booklet, and I have gone through that course over the last few weeks, so it was really important that if we were talking about fasting on Sunday, that it didn't suddenly conflict with the fasting course we were teaching you also on a Sunday. And in that fasting course, there's going to be some resources that it suggests to you as uh, auxiliary opportunities. One is going to be this book by Arthur uh, Wallace called God's Chosen Fast. It's about $10 on Amazon. A really terrific book written in 1968. I just finished it uh, yesterday. And uh, there's a podcast that it's going to introduce you to as well. A really long podcast, an hour to an hour and a half each episode, four episodes. So gear up. But those are all auxiliary. Everyone say auxiliary. Great, which means you don't have to do them, but you can do them. And I want to talk about fasting, and it's just going to be fairly brief, if you will, because I I would have approached this subject as well from a perspective thinking that fasting was not a foundation, but that it was more so auxiliary. Um, And many in the West, we live in the West. Did you know that? It's not because we're in Western Canada. It's just because we're considered Western Christianity. Did you know that there is an Eastern Christianity. Those that follow Christianity that do not exist in Western world, i.e. North America, Australia, Europe. And although we think that fasting is auxiliary or that it's something uh, based on studies that they would say that the average individual, more than the minority, the majority of people will go their whole Christian life without ever fasting a single day. Could you imagine if we said that about reading your Bible? That the majority of Christians would go their whole Christian life without ever reading a chapter in the Bible. Could you imagine if we said that about prayer, that the majority of Christians would go their whole Christian life without ever praying to God once? 
Could you imagine if we said that uh, the majority of Christians would spend their whole life never attending a church? This would seem absurd. Agreed? I'm hoping. I'm hoping it seems absurd to you. Yet we have this reality about fasting being a auxiliary practice. There's a, a scripture in, uh, and none of it's going to be on the Sky Bible, not because of them, but because of me, in Matthew 6, 16 to 18. And you'll find just before that, Jesus teaching how to pray. And it's interesting that that is the statement. Jesus says, when you pray. Now, if you read that idea, when you pray, there is an assumption. Everyone say assumption. assumption. I know you're all thinking about naughty words now. A-S-S-U-M-E. Assumption. Assume. There's an assumption when Jesus says, when you pray, that you will pray. So then in Matthew 6, 16 to 18, that he says, when you fast, there's an assumption that you will fast. So Jesus has an assumption that you will pray. And Jesus has an assumption that you will fast. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your hair and wash your face so that it will be obvious to others that you are fasting, but on, that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's saying when you're fasting, don't make it look like you're fasting. Don't not shower. Don't not put on deodorant. <laughs> Did you know when you fast, you get bad breath? Brush your teeth. Yeah. It's saying when you fast, make sure it's not done for other people's benefit, because then that will be the only benefit. Make sure that when you fast, you fast for the right reasons uh, in, uh, in, in response to what God has for you. So here's, here's the question. What is fasting? Um, in Scripture... Fasting is defined as abstaining from food. Scripture has no example, oddly enough, of fasting that does not include the restriction of food. Scripture does not have an espresso fast. Scripture does not have a social media fast. When Scripture is talking about fasting, it is exclusively and entirely speaking of restriction of food. How many of you just want to restrict your food intake today? How many of you hear that practice of fasting where I shall not eat and think, Jesus, that sounds like the thing I would like to do? <laughs> Isn't it so similar to the other practices of reading your Bible and praying that these things are things that do not uh, naturally feel like desires, but when you do them, then they become an appetite for desire? I wonder sometimes if we have, in Western Christianity, if we've diminished what a fast is because we've enabled it to be the abstinence of something rather than the fasting of food. To abstain from social media is a good thing. To abstain from movies or to abstain from coffee or whatever these things are for a specific season, a specific reason. These aren't bad things, but they aren't fasting. Just like reading uh, an amazing book by Arthur uh, Wallace about God's chosen fast is not reading scripture. It's a good thing, but it still isn't reading the Bible. 
And you have to be careful that your consumption of scripture isn't just defined by the books you read, the podcasts you listen to, the preachers that you speak to you, but it's actually consumed by reading of scripture. There's a big difference between this book and this book. Why fast? Fasting enables greater access to the spiritual realm. Fasting will teach you self-control and self-discipline. And fasting cleanses your body. Much of our world, um, at least in my age, has lost the need and desire for self-control and self-discipline. This book I ordered and read because I could order it on Amazon with a two-click button on my phone. Because if it had to take me to go to a bookstore to look it out, it would have been too much effort required to get to the other end. By society, we want what's quick and what's easy. It's why so many people, after um, churches were shut down for a while, are okay still at home, turning on a screen rather than getting out of bed, getting dressed, getting into the house of God. Yet there's something very different about being in this room than being in your bedroom watching this event, if you want to call it that, of that moment. Self-control and self-discipline is something we can use a little more of in our life. I don't know if you've ever fasted. The very first time um, that I remember doing a significant fast was when we were uh, location pastors here in Revelstoke. And we, as a church, were doing a one-week fast. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm the pastor. I should do a water fast. So I ate and then started to drink water on day one. Uh, By 3 p.m. on day one, I was Googling, am I dying? (laughs) Google said no, I was not dying. Day two was atrocious. Day three, you know, you'd think that the spiritual practices that God has you doesn't include some sense of suffering. I don't think that's true. If all you think of the things that God has for you is comfort, you're going to be very surprised when you encounter God. Because God has stretching. That's called discomfort. Scripture says iron sharpens iron. That means things falling off of you. But I just want to be sharp. That's right, stripping away. <laughs> I remember doing this fast, and you know, we, uh, I got to the other end of seven days, and I was shocked, to be honest. And I broke the fast, went to La Baguette. First thing in the morning, got my espresso beverage my butter croissant, and by the time 10 o'clock hit, just before I stepped on platform, or 10.30, whatever, stepped on platform to preach, I was Googling, am I dying again? (laughs) Because as there is discipline required to start a fast, there's discipline required of how you break the fast. Isn't that amazing? You spend seven days not eating, and then you have to spend the next four days building up to be able to eat again? They don't tell you that when they talk about fasting, do they? They don't tell you about the ramp up and the ramp down to this practice. The self-discipline, the self-control required to fast. Did you know that when you fast, your body consumes itself? And when you're fasting, when you're only consuming water, when you're, when you're, avoid, or when you're not in, introducing more calories into your body, your body starts to flush out the dead and damaged cells of your body. 
Did you know that when you're fasting, your body cleanses the body of the things that shouldn't be there? Could it be that our bodies would be more healthy if we spent time fasting? Could it be that our discipline and self-control could have better opportunities if we are fasting? Could it be that we could access the presence of God without turmoil and struggle if we spent some time fasting? Over the last three weeks, uh, I know I said it last week, we were talking about the Holy Spirit. That's what I was preaching on across all of our three locations. So I felt like God said to fast before, and I fasted between 24 and 48 hours before. Did I love it? No. No, I didn't. I didn't love it when someone texted me photos of tacos that they were eating. I didn't love it when my son chose ribs for dinner. I didn't love it the first time I fasted in Revelstoke and went to a hockey game and Ethan ate two cheeseburgers in front of me. One time. But what I did love was being able to access God easier. If you want greater things in the kingdom of God, you need greater sacrifice in the kingdom of God. Your level of sacrifice will determine your level of engagement with the presence of God. It's almost as though the things that God says for our lives are simple. We just aren't very good at choosing them because they're also simple and hard. Fasting will enable greater access to the spiritual realm. Something that I found interesting reading through this book, um, and maybe it was in the podcast or the course, you'll have to take the course to find out, but the reminder, uh, so when you're fasting, more blood is sent to your brain. So you become, after you get through a couple stages of it, you become uh, more alert because there's more blood flowing to your brain. Because the blood doesn't have to flow to your digestive system. So it has somewhere else to go. And when you're fasting, there's the ability to encounter the spiritual realm in a greater way than when you're not. That you are, in some ways, you are more alert. It's like that, uh, that fire alarm going off in your house and suddenly you're awake and you're looking everywhere around. But you have to remember that when you're more spiritually alert does not mean that you're more spiritually alert just to heaven. That's what we like to think. Okay, I'm going to fast and therefore I will feel God greater. No, therefore you will have greater access to the spiritual realm. Which means if you have left a door open for the devil to have authority in your life, you will find it manifests itself greater in fasting than in your regular day-to-day life. Did you know that the Catholic Church, as a part of their exorcism practice, I know, we're talking about exorcism, isn't it amazing? In their exorcism practice, a requirement is to fast before exorcism. It's sort of like going to the doctor and they say, please don't eat for 24 hours before you come so we can do the operation on you. Because it opens them up to a greater access of the spiritual realm. Now, I don't talk about exorcism and demons to scare you. Is it really a great example to um, talk about fasting and talk about exorcism and demons? I don't know, but is it a great way to get free? Maybe. There's a, a story, um, there's a number of stories in scripture and there's a number of stories in Christian um, history about the breakthrough that existed on the other side of the fast. 
There's a story, if you read this book, I, I encourage you to. He, he references um, in, uh, in World War uh, when Hitler is not far from the British troops and the Church of England calls for a fast of the nation. Or, sorry, the king calls for a fast and they begin to fast and Hitler turns or stops his troops just miles away from where the British people were. I know sometimes you want to call them coincidences, but I would love to say that God answers our prayers. And that when we sacrifice on behalf of things, do you remember that story of Jonah? Jonah's so angry at the Ninevites because they turned from their evil ways. You know what they did? They fasted. When Jonah said, there's wickedness in your world and God is going to kill you, turn from your wickedness, they, they, they weeped and they fasted until God changed his mind. Could you imagine that we have the power in prayer and fasting to change things that would happen in our world or the world around us? Could you imagine that your prayers matter and that there are things that if we do not pray will not change? Why is it that we believe that our prayers are just this, this sincerity? I, I hate it. I promise you. I hate it when I see on Facebook, Instagram, or anything. I'm sending thoughts and prayers. Thoughts are not the same as prayers. <laughs> Your thoughts will not change what prayers can change. Don't diminish my God to the idea of my thoughts. No, no. My God has power in prayer to transform things that cannot be transformed if I will not advocate on behalf. Could you imagine what would happen if each and every one of us, could you imagine if one of us started to believe that everything that God wanted to do in my life, in the life of my spouse, in the life of my children, in the life of my parents, in the life of my city, in the life of my church, depended on my prayers? Would your prayer life change? Or would it maintain just the idea of praying at dinner, a checkbox off the list? Yep. I remember us being at a camp out one time. Uh, it was a Christian camp out. It was all of our churches at the time together. And uh, we went to have breakfast. And the Christian camp uh, director, we didn't pray before breakfast. And he came to me after, and he was sort of snarky. He's like, oh, well, I you know, would have thought you guys would have prayed before. He was really questioning whether we were Christians, um, although that's not what he said directly to me. Um, and I thought, do you not realize we just left a one-hour prayer meeting? Like, what does praying over the breakfast change if, like, how does that be the checkbox? There's, um, no, I'll get to that in a moment. So, uh, who should fast? Uh, those who have been asked by God to fast. Do you know Jesus never commands fasting? One thing he never commands in scripture. But yet he has this statement in scripture that says, when, they, when you fast. So he has this expectation, but not a commandment. Meaning, unlike some things uh, in our Christian walk, it is not a command that you must fast. It's a suggestion. There's some practical implications around it. Um, but I, I don't know about you, but I've learned in my Christian walk that the motivation really matters. Yeah. Um, and if I just suddenly say to you, okay, go out today, everyone, and fast uh, a day this week, that it will not have the fruit that it'll have if God then asks you to fast. If, if for the last three weeks, all of you fasted on Saturday like I did, it wouldn't mean the same thing as it did for me. And that's not because I'm different, but because God asked me. Right. That's all it meant. You could have fasted if God asked you, and that'd be great. 
Because it's about obedience to what God's asking you, not obedience to what I'm saying. Now, there's a, there's a caveat here. There are times where we will ask our church to pray, and that is a different thing than the individual fast because we are corporately gathering together on something. And if you are a part of our church, you should think that you're a part of that fast. And again, it wages against the reality of the Western Christian world that says that we are individuals. When the church calls for a fast, you are the church. If we were in Eastern Christian world, if we were in Africa uh, and the pastor called for a fast, do you know what happened? Every person in the church would fast. Do you know if we're in Revelstoke and the pastor calls for a fast, what will happen? Some of the church will fast. Because for some reason, as individuals in the Western world, we believe that our rights overrule the rights of the multitude and that we have greater authority. Yes, we have great access to God, but we have greater authority together than we will ever have apart from each other. My life is refined and refreshed by being in relationship with all of you. And it is diminished by not being in relationship with you. Who should fast? You should fast if God has asked you to fast or if the church is called to fast. Do you know how often we call a fast as a church? Once a year. I know that's a lot. Now, do we prescribe how that fast has to look? No. Do I suggest that it look like food? Yes. Does that mean fast for seven days straight? No. That might mean fast for a meal a day. That may, fa- that may mean fast on Tuesday and Thursday. Because I don't know your world. And we're talking about walk before you run. If you've never fasted, please don't have a seven-day fast. God's not going to ask you to be like Jesus and go 40 days in the wilderness without eating and drinking, or sorry, without eating if you've never fasted before. He's not going to ask like Moses. Moses, he was up on Mount Sinai, fasted for 40 days, no food, no water, comes down, sees that his people have built a gold statue, smashes the tablets, corrects them, goes back up, let's say it's two days, goes back up for another 40 days, no food or drink. Please hear very clearly, I'm not saying don't fast for 40 days, no food, no drink. If you've never fasted before, try it for one meal, one day. I love saying this. In anything that God's asking you to do, do the absolute, like if it's fasting or prayer, do the absolute smallest that you possibly can do to be successful in. So many times we think, I want to be a greater prayer. I'm going to pray for 30 minutes every day this week. And at the end of the week, you've prayed for no minutes at all because you failed all of them. (laughs) But if you said, I'm going to pray while I'm in the shower, every day this week for three minutes. At the end of the week, you'll have prayed for 21 minutes, far greater than the person who said they were going to do 30 than ever did any. I don't care how long or how much you fast. There's the complete fast, which is just on, um, uh, sorry, the complete fast is just on food. There's the partial fast, which may be, as Daniel did, Daniel restricted his diet to just fresh fruit. He didn't have meat. So maybe your fast isn't abstaining from all food, but it's abstaining from some types of food. Hear what I'm saying? There actually is the ability for each, or for generally there's the ability for each person to fast. I should add this caveat that there are some people with conditions that they need to speak to their doctors. If you are pregnant, do not fast. If you have diabetes, do not fast without speaking to a doctor. Please, please be clear of that so it doesn't become some religious subscription that is not helpful. How to fast. Um, firstly, plan ahead. Um, just take it from someone who's failed miserably at fasting Uh, plan ahead you you actually need to give your body time to get into the fast state 
and you need to give your body time to get out of the fast state. Please don't have ribs <laughs> the day before fasting. Your body uh, takes a lot more energy to digest meat than it does to di digest things like fruit. When you are done fasting, if you're fasting water, you need to give your body time to wake up its digestive system, which means starting like after a seven-day water fast, you know what you get to eat day one? Fruit juices. Ooh. <laughs> day two, fruit juices in broth. You just got to work your body back into it. After your body's been cleansed, it's actually an opportunity to continue the self-discipline. Because you know what I want on day one of fasting? You know what I did? I'll, I'll be honest. You know what I did the second week because I fasted the last three weeks? You know what I did the second week partway through the day on Saturday? I sat in bed looking at Instagram baking recipes and saving them on my phone. White chocolate. Brownie bombs, yes. Uh, Oreo. Lasagna, Yes. And then Sunday night, send Kimberly a message. I need six pounds of butter. I need three cartons of Oreos. I need two packages of white chocolate chips. She says, no. <laughs> I'm not perfect, okay? I begin to dream about these things. It's a it's part of it. But plan ahead. You know, plan ahead. The part of fasting is being able to give the time and the energy that you have to God. So have you planned as a parent how you're going to feed your family and get time for prayer? Have you planned how you're going to have enough energy for work? I heard someone say this a couple years ago when I was researching fasting. They said, some people say for their work, you know, I'm in construction. I can't fast. That's probably true, maybe. Um, but do you need to have, you know, like a McDonald's cheeseburger? Or could you sustain it on dry toast? Because maybe fasting doesn't mean removing all sustenance, but there should be a price that you can pay still. I don't want to eat dry brown toast, but it may define the sustenance I need for the fast that I have. How to begin, plan ahead of how you're going to begin, when you're going to begin, how to fast, what you're going to fast, plan you know, part of self-control and self-discipline and actually sacrificing your body to God as the temple that he has called it to be is deciding what you're going to fast. If you're fasting water, great. If you're fasting just liquids, great. If you're just fasting dinner, great. But decide what that is because day one, you'll want to decide something different. <laughs> oh, breakfast has been hard, lunch. Well, maybe I'm just going to fast breakfast and lunch and dinner will be okay. But compromising one thing becomes compromising all things. Set times of prayer, et cetera. Uh, and then my suggestion is to journal. Um, if you want God to speak to you, or if you believe God's going to speak to you, prepare for him to speak to you. That's what journaling is. Some of you journal, some of you don't. I have seasons of journaling, seasons of not. But if I plan to journal, I tend to have more that God speaks to me because I write it out. Just a thing. Uh, the fasting course is going to give you uh, tonight, it's going to give you four reasons to fast, and I just want to run through those quickly. It says the fasting course will go through um, and will highlight four reasons for fasting, to offer yourself, uh, yourself to Jesus, to grow in holiness, to amplify our prayers. Um, they say it, and it's really well said, that for some reason, fasting amplifies your prayers. Does scripture explain why? No. It just says that it does. And four, to stand with the poor. I think the course, please uh, take it. It'll suggest something great. Um, I'm just trying to hear what Jasmine and Ethan are whispering about. Oh, I didn't think I lost one. Oh, 
uh, to stand with the poor. Uh, you can pray without fasting. And you can fast without praying, but truly fasting and prayer should go together. There's a lot of people um, these days, it's funny how um, fasting has dropped out of Western Christianity so much, yet it's become such an increase in the health world, in Western world. I'm far more likely to speak to someone um, who uh, is, is diligent in fitness and about fasting than I am to someone in church about fasting. Um, did you know that Moses is the first person recorded in all of history having fasted? The first example of fasting comes from Christianity. Although it exists very much in other religions or other practices, it's basis and, and initiation or initial references from Moses in the Torah. Uh, I like this quote, um, that fasting is kind of like praying with our body. Uh, Marva J. Don says this, Americans, um, you know, every stat comes with America and Canada is just an add-in. We understand that, right? Uh, Americans do not know how to feast because they do not know how to fast. Especially if we fast on behalf of those who do not have enough and share our plenty with them, our feasting will be much more meaningful. Um, you know how you have like a birthday cake on a birthday and it's special? I have a birthday cake I make for my wife for the last, I don't know, five or six years, I guess now. It's a peanut butter, uh, a peanut butter chocolate fudge cheesecake. It takes a couple hours. I make it every year. Um, and it's special and exciting. Do you know how special it would be if I made it every day of the week? <laughs> Wouldn't it be the same thing? Right. And I think because of our overindulgence in Western society, we've lost the art of feasting because every day has become a feast. Uh, I, I've heard of someone and I'm thinking about, I've mentioned it to my children, but not to my wife. I'm thinking about doing it in December with my kids. Someone I know or I've heard of who uh, one day a week in, for dinner with their family, they have rice and beans. What the majority of the world live off of. To remind them that although there is plenty in their world, this is to put, the, um, you know, put them back to remember what other people are living through. I don't know. Sometimes my kids need to realize that just because they only got one hour of screen time, that the world has not actually ended and that their life still is quite uh, excellent in comparison to what life could look like. Sometimes I need to remind myself that just because they were out of, uh, just because they were out of cranberry almond or the cranberry bars at Starbucks at Christmas time, you know which ones we're talking about, the cranberry white chocolate bars, just because of those out of those, doesn't mean my life has ended. Sometimes it's the fast that actually would enable our feast to be more sufficient. Did you know in scripture, uh, in the Jewish faith, there's a, a festival called Lent. It's, it exists in or orthodoxy or in traditional church culture as well. And it's a season of fasting, and it lasts 46 days. Did you know that? I think it was Pastor Russ maybe that said it this uh, last year that reminded me. So it lasts 46 days, not 40 days. It's supposed to exemplify and remind you of the time that Jesus fasted. But it's 46 days because within the 46 days, there are six Sundays. And the rule is that Sundays and Sabbath is never for fasting but for feasting. The feast of Sunday is meant to be special because of the fast of the week. Fasting is not a sign of spiritual matu maturity. <laughs> so if you've never fasted, that does not mean you are not spiritually mature. But it is a way to grow in spiritual ma maturity. 
Jesus felt the need to fast. He's baptized and he goes into the wilderness and fasts for 40 days. Shouldn't we? When Jesus was around, he didn't require his disciples to fast, but rather anticipated that they would fast when he was no longer present. People would ask, he said, well, Jesus, uh, like the Pharisees fast, the disciples of John fast, why don't your people fast? And he says, well, the bridegroom is with them. Don't worry, when the bridegroom goes away, they will fast. But today we feast. Don't mix the two up. Fasting should not be the only discipline in your life. Fasting is always um, correlated with feasting. It's why, if you don't know it yet, in uh, the new year, January 15th to 21st, we will have a week of prayer and fasting. I encourage you to write it down on your calendar now so that at January 1st, when someone says, hey, we've got a week of prayer and fasting coming up in two weeks, you can't say, well, I I can't do it because I've got something else planned. Well, plan ahead. (laughs) Three months notice. I was looking at going on a vacation. Well, I didn't go choose the week that the week of prayer and fasting was. Honestly. Okay, not that week. It'd be bad to be on, you know, at an all-inclusive resort on, uh, on the beach in Mexico when I've asked the church to fast. But we end that fast on Sunday, something we've started doing, because Sunday is for feasting. In most of our locations on Sunday after service or before service, there will be an opportunity to feast because part of fasting is feasting. Isn't that great? You know, if you're, not, if you're not convinced about the fasting part, be convinced about the feasting part as a representative for the fasting part. <laughs> uh, Guy M. Richards said, fasting is completely out of step with the way the West approaches Christianity and religion as a whole. And because the world has so penetrated the church, this may well be the primary reason why fasting is so unfamiliar to Western Christians in the 21st century. Fasting was a prevailing emphasis in the early church. It's part of the reason I think that when you um, look through Scripture in the New Testament, you don't find uh, commands or requirements to fast. You find uh, information about what to do when fasting because it's just sort of assumed. It's like, so while you're fasting, not like, well, make sure to fast. Like, it was a general practice. They fasted. Oh, so when you're fasting, do this. Don't Make it look like you're fasting. Okay, when you're fasting, make sure it's not for your own gain. Make sure it's for the gain of other things. When you're fasting, you know, when you're brushing your teeth, when you're showering, when you wake up in the morning, there's an assumption here. Uh, There's different kinds of fasts. Maybe I'll quickly run through this, and I want to end with a quote. And I'll end now. It says, uh, regular fast, complete fast, that's all food, drinking uh, except water. Partial fast, which is to abstain from a certain type of food. Uh, Daniel 10, verse 3, I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine had entered my mouth and had not anointed myself at all for the full three weeks. That was Daniel's fast. He still ate, but no rich food, no meat, no wine. A liquid fast, only smoothies, broths, fresh juices, soups, and water. Uh, and water. Uh, avoid sugary beverages. And the absolute fast, no food, no drink, no, no water. I have not ever done that. Um, it should never be done for more than... Uh, three days and not without a doctor supervising. Could you imagine going, no food, no water? Moses did it 40 days and then 40 that. That's, that I call a supernatural fast in one way or the other. Uh, I want to read this quote that I think, or read this little section from this book. Again, you can buy it. And it's great. It's, it's really interesting to me reading it because it's written in 1968, but it feels like it could be written about the church today. Uh, in some ways, it's sad, to be honest. 
um, that the, the criticism at that point still feels like the same criticism 70 years later or 60 years later. It's my math, 60, 60 years, 55 years later, whatever it is. Um, and uh, as, as he writes this, he tries to prov provide a balanced approach about fasting because um, in some ways in, in the New Testament church, in Paul's letters, he's giving corrections around fasting because people were doing it too much. They were fasting so much that he needed to create some boundaries around it. Please don't fast on Sunday. Please don't fast in these environments. Please don't do that. Um, and he had to create some boundaries. And it's interesting, uh, which he says here, is how many things that when something goes overboard, we then immediately go to the other side of things. We go from too much fasting to no fasting. He says this, the neglect of truth followed by, listen to this, the neglect of truth followed by its rediscovery often results in its overemphasis. So please don't hear from me. Everybody should go out and fast three times this week. That's the overemphasis. Jesus assumed we'd fast. I don't know what that looks like for you, but God does, and you have access to God. If God says fast, do it. If he says fast one meal, there's a gentleman in our church, uh, in our location in Vernon, and when he was younger, in his early 20s, he felt uh, his mom suggested there was things going on in his world. His mom suggested him fasting, so he prayed about it. He felt like God said to fast for six months for, uh, or fast for half a year. And he's like, God, no. <laughs> How do I do that? And God said, well, you just fast every second day. So for a year, every second day he fasted. I don't know if I could do that, but I don't have to do that because that's what God asked him to do, not what he asked me to do. And God will ask you to do what you need to do for the breakthrough you have. Ne neglect, uh, sorry, the neglect of truth followed by its rediscovery often results in its overemphasis. I've been aware of this temptation in connection with this subject and have therefore tried to give to this theme the weight that scripture gives to it. Truth is like a portrait. And to exaggerate one feature is to turn the portrait into a caricature of the truth. The result is that thoughtful people turn from this divinely appointed means of grace as something for the crank or the fanatic. How many of you sometimes think that fasting is just for the fanatic? Fasting is important, more important perhaps than many of us have supposed, as I trust this book will reveal. For all that, it is not a major biblical doctrine, a foundation stone of the faith, or a panacea for every spiritual ill. It's not the answer for every spiritual illness. Nevertheless, when exercised with a pure heart and a right motive, fasting may provoke us with a key to unlock doors where other keys have failed a window opening up new horizons in the unseen world, a spiritual weapon of God's providing, mighty to be pulling down of strongholds. May God use this book to awaken many of his people to all the spiritual possibilities latent in the fast that God has chosen. Today, what I really hope is that you would reevaluate if fasting has never been a practice in your life or it has been and it's become dormant and ask God if that's something he's speaking to you about. Uh, and... If he is, that you show up tonight where there's soup and a bun and a fasting course. What if the one and a half hours today, the six hours over four weeks could transform uh, a weapon available to you and instead of it being something that is within your reach, it's within your hand. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.